53, verses 16 and 17. We're doing a series entitled Equipped. Equipped. And we're talking about being equipped for spiritual warfare, that we are in a spiritual battle. And we'll talk about that here in just a moment. But that we are truly in a spiritual conflict, that we are at war with the enemy and that we are in a spiritual battle. And so 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, this is our theme verse for our series. Um, and if you're just uh, visiting with us today or just kind of uh, here for the first time, uh, we've been on this for a few weeks now, I'll review briefly, but we're looking at spiritual warfare and being equipped for spiritual warfare. So notice what the scripture says. Paul says to Timothy, he says to be a good soldier. And in order to be a good soldier, you need to be equipped. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I don't know if they want to put it up there for us, but it says this. And if you want to find a Bible, there should be one for you. Or if you want to read off the screen. But it says that all scripture is God-breathed. It's given to us by God. It's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting in training in righteousness or right living. We're going to talk about that for a few moments this morning. But then it says this, so that the servant of God may be uh, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you see that word, to be thoroughly what? Say the word with me, equipped. To be equipped. And in this passage, the Bible tells us that God has given us his word. And as we study his word, it will give us the ability to be equipped to live the Christian life, to live an honoring life to God, but also to overcome the schemes of the enemy. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, he says this, Peter says, be careful, be sober, be, be aware, be vigilant, because your enemy, the devil, is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Jesus said in John 10, 10, Jesus said, he says the thief comes to do what? To steal. To do what? To kill and to destroy. Satan desires to wreak havoc. Satan desires to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And then our theme verse for today is Ephesians 6. And I'd like to jump right into this passage. Because we see here Paul again speaking of this spiritual battle and he's going to give us some instruction on how we're to overcome the enemy. In Ephesians 6.10, notice he says this. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God. Why do we need to put on the full armor of God? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He says, beware of the schemes of the enemy. He will trick you. He will deceive you. You need to be, watch out. He says, for we are in this struggle. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Or he says, and other versions will say, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers. Notice some of these words. Of this dark world. It's a battle versus good versus evil. Light Versus darkness. He says this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
He's saying it's a spiritual battle. It is not something that you can see necessarily with your eyes, but it is something that is spiritual, that there is a spiritual battle, good versus evil, light versus darkness, truth versus lies. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm. Then, as we studied last week with the belt of truth, that utility belt, that belt of truth around your waist. Notice this is what we'll be looking at here in just a moment with the breastplate of righteousness in place. He says, put on the full armor of God. May I say this to you? If you just look around and if you're just observant, you have to acknowledge the fact that there is evil in this world. Would you agree with that? There is evil in this world. The Bible says that Satan is the father, that Satan is the father of this evil. He's the father of all lives and all deception. The Bible says that God is love and God is light. But the opposite of that, and that's the war that we are facing, is that there is an evil one. There is an enemy. There is, there is truly an evil presence in this world. You say, well, I don't know if there's a good versus evil. I don't know if I believe that there's evil. I don't know about these things. May I say to you, how many of you lock your doors? Most of you lock your doors. Why? <laughs> there is an evil in this world. I mean... Gary left his trailer here on the property with a lock on it. And someone came onto the property at some point, cut the lock, and drove a pretty nice trailer off this property just not long ago. People would go onto a church property and steal things from the church? Absolutely. People would deface the church and Break things around, neighborhood people come around and deface the church property? Absolutely. We got done painting the backside and we were painting. Remember Gary, Anthony, we show up and on the backside of the building, they found different types of paint and splattered it all over the backside. Little demons, you know. <laughs> we laugh about those things and when we think about human trafficking, Last night, I, nothing like going to sleep on movies like this and documentaries. How many of you watch documentaries? And I watched documentaries, and last night it was about two young girls who went missing. And because they were deceived or tricked, and they didn't necessarily weren't like kidnapped, but they were, no one went looking for them. And so the parents searched and looked and looked and looked and it's two different stories the one girl they eventually found she was literally picked up by someone from another state and then that person ended up selling her to someone else from another state and the parents for months were looking for their child who was exploited through chat rooms and through chats and told certain things and and she was picked up and and gone for months 
The other little girl right now is still missing, and it breaks my heart. And I think to myself, what if that was one of my children? You'd say, what would possess people to exploit a young child, to take a young child and exploit a young child and to sell that young child and do these things? I'm going to tell you, that's of the devil. It is beyond our comprehension that there is this such evil in the world. It is good versus evil. We look at that and we often say, well, that, that's what's going on out in the world. But can I also remind you of something? That the enemy wants to steal and to kill and to destroy and wants to wreak havoc in our lives. He wants to rob us of our joy. And so as we've been studying this series, there's a number of things we need to understand that we said that will help you in your spiritual battle. As you're in this spiritual conflict, you must, first of all, know yourself. Remember that? Know yourself. And know that in and of yourself, you are no match for the enemy. And if you think that somehow you can fight off the enemy on your own and in your own strength and your own power, you are outmatched. And that you cannot overcome the evil one in your own power and in your own strength. So you must know yourself. He says here, Paul says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And you need to know your opponent and study your opponent. We're in a spiritual battle. And so you do your intel, if you will. You also need to know your adversary. You need to know Satan and you need to know how he works. And for a number of weeks we've been studying and we'll continue to look through this and see how he works. But what we've seen so far is that he's subtle. The Bible says that he, he disguises himself as an angel of light. Again, let me just remind you of something. Satan does, does not appear to us as this evil, horrible being. He doesn't have a pitchfork and a long tail and horns and, 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 and breathe, you know, smoke coming out of his nostrils and breathing fire. And that we can see him coming a million miles away. No, the Bible says he's subtle. He has schemes. He tricks us. He deceives us. He's a liar. And so he disguises himself as an angel of light. He's a chameleon. He's a snake that blends in that you can't see. And when you least expect it, he gets you. I lived in Arizona where we have lots of rattlesnakes. Let me tell you, those little, little buggers can blend into everything. They'll get into the rocks. And I don't know how many times I've literally walked out and literally, literally, Almost step on one in my yard and, and jump back, and there it is. You know that whole, like, they'll rattle and warn you, oh, no, no. <laughs> Don't even believe that one. The only time they rattle is when you're trying to kill them and you've already provoked them. They don't warn you. I'm telling you, they do not warn you. I've never not, I mean, and I've killed a good many of them. And by the way, the only good rattlesnake's a dead rattlesnake, too. <laughs> Some of you people have them as pets. We need to pray for you, amen? Not rattlesnakes, but snakes. When I was pastoring in Missouri, one of the youth in our church, he, you know, had a single mom, and he was going through a lot of struggles and a lot of difficulty. And so I tried to build a relationship with him. And, and you know, I'd go visit him and go to his house, and I'd hang out with him. And he'd want to go do things. And I thought maybe he'd want to go wrestle, or he'd want to go play football, or let's play catch. Oh, no. You know what he liked? He had a room 
full of snakes. And I said, well, boy, okay, God, please help. And you don't understand. I, I have, I hate snakes. I hate snakes. I have like literally PTSD from a as a child, snakes. Grew up in Pennsylvania, and I remember I was up playing in the woods and throwing rocks around, and, and we would cut these vines at my grandmother's house, and we would cut the vines up in the trees, we'd take it up the hill, and then we'd run and we'd swing, swing like Tarzan, you know, like, ah! And so I was up there moving rocks. I'm probably eight or nine years old. I'm moving rocks, and I flip this rock, and a snake lunges, almost gets me in the face. It was a copperhead, by the way. Copperheads are poisonous. And this copperhead almost got me right in the face. It freaked me out. I remember I ran down the hill, and as I was running down the hill, there was a huge mud puddle at the bottom. I hit the grass. It was wet. I slipped and fell into this huge muddle. I'm covered in, in mud and covered in water. And I run into my grandma's house screaming and yelling, and my parents in there, and they thought something about died. You know, they're like, what in the world? And I said, it was a snake. It was a... And it, you know, when they went up there, they found that they killed it with a copperhead. Almost got me right in the face. Do you know, I had nightmares and dreams about that for weeks. I would be in my bed asleep. I had dreams that they were under my bed. They were everywhere. I had a, in my, you know, and I would wake up in the middle of the night, and there's, I see this, this snake in its face, and it's four-inch fangs. They were at least four inches <laughs> in my face. Ever since then, I have despised snakes. I'm terrified of snakes. And so this teenager says, I said, what do you want to do? Let's go do something, something you enjoy to do. And he says, I like hunting snakes. He's from Missouri. I'm like, what? I like hunting snakes, Pastor Joe. So we actually, I actually go out. This is in Missouri. And we go out in the middle of the woods, and we start looking for snakes. And I'm like, I had that flashback. Every rock I flipped, I'm waiting for a copperhead or something to come out and get me. After a couple hours, we didn't see any. And I was like, my prayers are being answered. We did not find any. I remember we saw this field, and it was like this, this there was a big, like, plastic, like, bin. Like this, and he says, I have an idea. Let's flip it up, and let's see what we find. And I said, well, I'll lift it. You do the looking, you know. So I lift this big plastic bin, and sure enough, a huge like four foot copperhead, huge snake. And he goes running after it, and he literally catches it and grabs this thing. Then he decides he's bringing it home with us in the car. He brought it home and kept it for a couple weeks. Said, well, I can't get it to eat, and then he ended up releasing it. I don't know why I'm telling the story, only because it's my therapy for today, okay? <laughs> I hate snakes. But I'm going to tell you something. The snakes... Many times you can be right on top of them. Listen to what I'm about to say. You can be right on top of them and never see them. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You ever hear of a chameleon? The chameleon blends in. Can I tell you, we don't realize this, but Satan loves to blend in. Satan loves to be, appear to be something that he's not. And so the Bible says that you need to know your enemy 
You know your adversary, but also what we understand is we didn't need to know our advantages. And Paul tells us here to put on the full armor of God. And if you notice the wordings, he says, when the evil day comes. Understand this. Think about this. He says, when the evil day comes. Not if the evil day is going to come. When the evil day is going to come. Are you awake, church? It's not a matter of if the enemy is going to try to attack you or try to... Uh, if you will, uh, come into your life and, and disrupt your life. Understand this. I'm going to tell you something. Listen, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And Paul very clearly here in the scripture, he says, he says, when the evil day comes, you need to make sure you're prepared. You see, some, again, we have this idea. It's like, well, maybe someday, the devil, you know, well, I don't know. You know, this is for other people. The, this sermon series is great for someone else. No, this, this is for you and I. Because it's not a matter of if the devil is going to be attacking. It's when he begins to attack us. So know that we must put on this full armor. Last week, we talked about the belt of truth. I'd encourage you to try to listen to that if you can. But the idea is that Paul was in a Roman prison and he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus. And as Paul's in prison, he sees and he observes a Roman soldier. And as you look at the Roman soldier, you'll see that, that Paul is going to use this analogy of this, this soldier and how he's prepared to go to battle. And he has his armor. And there's different pieces of the armor. Can we go to the other one as well, the other picture? Picture Paul... Uh, looking, I think there's one other one, as he's looking at this soldier, and maybe zoom in on that one, but as he, you're looking at the shoulder, we saw the belt of truth last week, and that holds everything together. That holds everything together to overcome the lies of the enemy. There's that, that belt, the belt of truth. It holds the sword, it holds his rations, it holds the breastplate that we're going to talk about right now in place. And so... We understand that the enemy tells us lie after lie after lie. And he says you must have the belt of truth to overcome the lies. And this week, we're going to spend just a few moments right now on this breastplate of righteousness. What is this breastplate? He says put on the body armor. You can kind of see that Roman soldier as he has the body armor. It's to protect his vitals. It protects his heart and his lungs. And it wraps around to protect his, his organs, his major organs. You and I would maybe, as last week we talked about, that, that, that belt of truth is like a police officer's belt. All right? It's a utility belt. It's not a belt that the soldier wore to look good. It was a belt that was there for a purpose. And that belt held everything in place. Like the police officer who wears that, that, that utility belt, that belt, it has his weapon has his gun, it has his two magazines, it has his, his cuffs. I mean, it has everything that he needs. It has his, uh, you know, the, the flashlight, his mag light. It has his nightstick. It has all these things that he needs. And we kind of joked that it also has that little holder for the donuts. Amen? The little donut holder. And so he has the belt of truth, but holding up the breastplate of righteousness. This is his, if you will... For soldiers, it's that body armor that protects their body. For a police officer that goes out and he's on duty, let me ask you, what does that police officer always put on? Puts on that vest, right? Puts on that bulletproof vest to protect him. And so 
You and I must put on the breastplate of righteousness. What is this breastplate of righteousness? I believe the answer is kind of twofold. For you and I to put on the breastplate of righteousness, to, to protect our hearts. I believe it's twofold. The first part of this, I want to share a few scriptures. Look with me in 2 Corinthians 5.21. I'm just going to briefly give you a few passages of scripture. But he says this, God made him, speaking of Christ, who had no sin to be sin for us. He took our place. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, because of what Christ has done for us, we become, we have this righteousness of God. In Philippians chapter 2, not Philippians chapter 3, I'm sorry, verses 8 through 10, Paul says this. What is more, I considered everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And be found in him. Notice these words now. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from, from religion, from doing and trying to keep the law. He says, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of what? Can you say it with me? Faith. He says, on the basis of faith, I have this righteousness. And he says, I, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. He says, because of faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there's, I'm going to give you a, a couple big words today. You're going to actually feel like Pastor Joe's educated, okay? Maybe the degree was paid off. I'm going to give you a couple big words. One of the big words is this. In theology, it's called imputed righteousness. What Paul is speaking about here is imputed righteousness, meaning that, that you are not righteous enough to please God. There's nothing that you and I can do. Paul says it's not by our own merit. It's not by our works. He says, but because of faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, his righteousness is imputed. It is placed upon us. All of my sin was put on, on Jesus Christ. It says, he, Jesus, who knew no sin, he became sin for us. It's kind of an interesting word. It's literally this. Like if you had a debt that you could not pay, and you had a debt, and you were indebted, and you had a rich, rich relative, and that rich relative said, I'm canceling the debt. I'm paying for all of the debts. That's the idea of, of your debt was being paid for by someone else. You see, we have the imputed righteousness of Christ placed upon us the moment we accept him and believe upon him. Look at Romans uh, chapter 4, verse 5. really want you to get this. He says, however, to the one who does not work, trying to work for their salvation, trying to work their way to heaven, trying to work for it, but trust God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as what? What's that word? Righteousness. This is the righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness. 
So we have what's called imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness means this, is that the word justification was used in some of these passages. It means this, that because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, when I stand before God, when you stand before God, you are what the Bible calls, here's the other big word, you are justified. It's called justification. It means this. It's, they say it means this, just as if you've never sinned. But I believe it goes deeper than that. If you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ placed upon you and you are justified, I believe it goes even much deeper. You've never, maybe never heard this said. You've probably never heard this taught. I've never read it, never heard it preached, never heard it taught. This is an original with me. Okay? And you can say I'm a heretic. You can say, no, that's not true. But I want you to think about this. Let me ask you this question. If we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ placed upon us, it's not that I'm just as if I'd never sinned. Let me ask you, was Jesus ever a sinner? Yes or no? No. I believe it goes even deeper. It's just as if we were a sinner. In the eyes of God. Somebody say amen right there. Although we are, we're sinners, in the eyes of God, God will never look back at our past and say, well, look what you've done and look what you did. Because he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it's not just that we're just as if we've never sinned. It's even beyond that. We have the righteousness of Christ. I am clothed. I have the breastplate of his righteousness, which means it's just as if we were never a sinner. Ooh, that is awesome. You say, why is that? Because some versions say it like this. Put on the breastplate of God's approval. Numerous versions translate it this way. It says, for a breastplate, God's approval. Another one says it like this. Put on the approval of God as a breastplate. The idea is this, is that Satan always wants to throw guilt and shame at us. And listen, condemnation is something that so many of us struggle with. And the Bible says that in Christ there is no condemnation. Amen. And so look with me at this passage, Revelation 12.10. You say, why is this such a big deal? Why should this matter? In Revelation 12, 10, listen to what it, it speaks of about Satan. It says, And then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah, speaking of Christ. But notice, speak, this is the good versus evil. Notice what Satan does, the accuser. Satan, the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them. Before our God, day and night, he has finally, in the future, will be hurled down. What does Satan do day and night? He accuses us. He's the tattletale. How many of you know, you know what I mean? He accuses us. Notice what it says, day and night before the Lord. When we looked at the temptation last week of of Adam and Eve and in the garden. And remember how Satan transformed himself and he was subtle and he was sneaky and he lied and, and, and she believed his lies. And Eve was deceived and, and Adam partook. And remember when they fell? Follow me now. When they fell, what was the very first thing that they did? 
What did they do? They went and did what? They hid from God. But what else did they do? What's something else that they did? They what? They made fig leaves to cover themselves. Why? They knew what? Shame. Shame, guilt, condemnation. And it's a beautiful thing because it wasn't them that went looking for God. It was God that went looking for them. By the way, God loves you. God is seeking you out. He desires a fellowship with you, a relationship with you. He loves you. And you say, but you don't know what I've done. and You don't know what I, uh, the sin and the, the shame and the guilt in my life. Look at Adam and Eve. Look at their shame. Look at their guilt. They felt that condemnation, but it wasn't from God. It was from the enemy that was telling them the lies that God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. He you need to run. You need to hide. And in their guilt and in their shame, they begin to try to sew the fig leaves together. And here we see, if you will, an illustration or a picture of what man is still trying to do today. They're trying to cover their sin, cover their guilt, cover their shame, because the evil one, the enemy, constantly throws it in our face, doesn't he? Look what you've done. Look where you've been. And so Adam and Eve try to cover their own shame and their own guilt in a form of religion by trying to work their way. And they begin to sew those fig leaves together. But let me ask you something. How long would those fig leaves last? Not going to work. So what do you have to do? Oh, got to go get another one. Go get a few more and try to sew them together. Put them on. Before long... Got to go get more. The Lord comes. The Bible says he came out calling and seeking for Adam and Eve. And it's the Lord God himself that brings that restoration. Amen. Amen. And he takes an animal and he sheds the blood of an innocent animal. And do you see the symbolism? Do you see the picture? And he sacrifices that animal and he gives them coverings to hide their guilt and to hide their shame. But it was only a mere covering. But may I remind you of something? It was a foreshadow that Jesus Christ would become our breastplate of righteousness. Amen? Amen. The breastplate of God's approval. We live in a world that is so seeking approval. Approval of their peers, approval of people, approval of those around them, that they will do nearly anything to get an attaboy, a pat on the back. In our social media and the world that we're in, people are all about how many followers and how many likes and how many comments, comment and like on the recent. Come on now. <laughs> so you're like, I have no clue what you're talking about, Pastor Joe. <laughs> That's for the younger generation. <laughs> we want approval. This past week, I got a message from one of the parents and one of the junior high kids, seventh, eighth graders at in our wrestling program. She said, well, he's not going to be at practice. Some things happened and some things we're dealing with. I said, is everything okay? Can I help out? What's going on? Long story short, she said, well, he got caught. We can't believe it, but he stole teacher, one of his teacher's candy, stole a bunch of candy from his teacher. And if my first thought was, well, what kind was it? Because there's some that... <laughs> Reese's peanut butter cup, I totally get it. I understand. 
I understand completely. The temptation is real. Dove chocolate, absolutely. And then my spirit, I knew, I said, well, after you're done, bring him by practice. I'll talk to him afterwards. Eighth grader, good kid. And I knew, I was like, Some, there's more to it. He didn't just steal candy. He didn't, just, he didn't steal candy from his teacher because he wants candy. And so I said, hey, what's up? I heard some things going on. He, he opened up. He admitted it, took responsibility. He says, I'll never forget these words. He said, he's like, Coach Joe, he says, we, re- we returned tenfold what I took. <laughs> and I'm like, tenfold, good for you, good kid, you know. We returned tenfold what we took. I thought it was really cute, you know. And I said, what was really behind it? Why did you do it? And you know what it was? A bunch of his friends put him up to it. Let's put it in today's terms. You know what it was? He's seeking what? Approval. Attention and approval. I want the attention and the approval of the people around me. Can I tell you something? You and I have the approval of God Almighty when we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And in a world where, where it, listen to me, we have to wean ourselves off of this temporary addiction of the world's approval. Because it will not satisfy. Do I have an amen, church? The world's approval will not satisfy the approval of your peers. And so many people make terrible choices and terrible decisions and will do crazy things all because they want the approval of the people around them. No, it is more important that we have the approval of God. Put on the breastplate of the righteousness of Christ. That's imputed righteousness. I have just a few moments, so bear with me. There's also what's, as I said, twofold imparted righteousness. Let me give you just a, a, cup, a passage. 2 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4. And so imputed righteousness was the first one. That is justification. But also there's imparted righteousness. This is what we call sanctification. Meaning this is that God is doing a work in our lives. Or we would call it this, it's imparted righteousness or living right, right living. The word righteousness also means right living. 2 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4, his divine power, when you come to know Christ, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. You see, when you accept Christ, he gives us the Holy Spirit, amen? And the Holy Spirit equips us and enables us to live a Christian life and to live a life that's pleasing to God. It's imparted righteousness, meaning that God gives us this divine nature, this Holy Spirit, and with the Holy Spirit, he begins in us a work, and it's called sanctification. And this, again, these are big words, but it means this, is that we become more and more like Christ, and we try to sin less. Now, some people have this idea, well, will I become sinless? If I have this, this imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness, will I become sinless? No. Someday we will be sinless when we're with the Lord. Amen? But can I say this? Sanctification does not mean that you're sinless, but you should sin less. Does that make sense? You should sin less. 
the more you get to know the Lord and the more you seek Him and you allow the Holy Spirit to transform your life, it is amazing, but you no longer, you will always struggle with the flesh, but you will, you will begin to struggle with the flesh less the more you submit to God. Does this make sense? Does not mean that your flesh will still not desire the things of this world, for it will. And I'll give you a help in just a moment. A couple other verses. Proverbs 4, verse 23 through 27. These are some of my favorite verses in Scripture. Solomon, the wise king, King Solomon said this, Above all else, he says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it, flows from the heart. And then he gives some really important instruction. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. And let your eyes look straight ahead and fix your gaze directly before, before you. And give careful thought to the paths for your feet. And be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left and keep your foot from evil. He says, guard your heart. For out of your heart is, is where all the issues of life come, the scripture says. Guard it. Protect it. Be on guard. Guard your heart. For out of it flows the issues of life. Guard your heart. And he even gives instruction. He speaks of the things that we say or the things that we hear. He said, be careful. He says, be, be careful the places you go and the things that you do. And I believe what he's saying is this, guard your heart. And he's saying, be careful of the gates to your heart. The gates to your heart are the things that you see. He says, be careful where your eyes look. One of the things we have to do is guard our hearts because one of the gates to our heart is through our eyes. We wonder why so many children are being exploited and taken advantage of. Well, it goes back to the fact that we have pornography at our very fingertips. And the eye, the Bible says, affects the heart. The eye affects the heart. Be careful the things that you, you see and the, and, and the things that you put into your eyes because it affects your heart. Is this making sense, church? He says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Be careful of the gates that get into your heart. And the, one of the gates is the eye gate. He says the ears and the, the, the talk. And, lips. and he's saying, be careful the things you hear. What goes into your ears affects your heart. And then he says, be careful where you go and, and, and don't turn to the right or left, but stay on that straight and narrow path. He says, guard your heart. Guard it. Proverbs 5, 22, Solomon says this. The evil deeds of the wicked, listen to these words, ensnare them. The cords, plural, of their sins, plural, hold them fast. Solomon says, guard your heart. But he also says here, be careful. Because I understand this. This is a dangerous thing about sin and how Satan works. You see, oftentimes people think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm holding on to this sin. The scary thing about trying to, when you grab a hold of sin, before long, sin grabs a hold of you. Did you get that? At first, you grab a hold of sin. Before long, sin grabs a hold of you, and he says, it ensnares them. And before long, their sins hold them fast. And he says, they're bound by the cords, plural, of their sins. This is a dangerous thing about sin. Because it oftentimes starts small. When I teach children, I used to teach youth and children, I would take a piece of twine, a small, small piece of twine, and I'd bring one of the kids up front. 
And they put a little piece of twine on them. And I'd say, break it off. And they sit there, and, you know, especially the little boys. And they break it off. And I'm like, I want the strongest kid. Where's the strongest one? He's the strongest. No, no, him. He's the strongest. Okay. We get him up there. And I take a picture of sin and tie it around once. Yeah, they break it off pretty easily. Before long, wrap it around 15, 20, 25, 30 times. They all think it's kind of funny. And they're laughing. And he'll be walking in circles. You know, can you picture it? And they're walking around. And they're all laughing. And I tie them up. And I say, okay, now break free. And they go. <laughs> and sometimes we'd even start to kind of cut in. And I'm like, be careful. I don't need to go home. And your parents are like, what did you do in church today? You, what are those wounds on your arm? Oh, the, Pastor Joe, he tied us up. He did what? <laughs> what did he do? Oh, he tied us What's going on in that youth group, you know? And they'd sit there and they'd try to get out, try to get out. And they'd fight and they couldn't. Do you see the picture that Solomon's giving us? Sin will, you, you're not holding on to sin before long. Sin's holding on to you. Come on now, church. And you're bound by your own sins. This is why Psalmist says, guard your heart, protect your heart. And that's why he says, avoid it, stay away from it. Romans 13, 12 through 14, because we're out of time. Romans 13, 12 through 14. He says, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and do what? Put on, picture this, the armor of light. Put on that armor of righteousness. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing or in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and in jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, what we have is this. We have imputed righteousness that comes from the Holy Spirit and it gives us the ability to go through what we call a sanctifying process. Not that we're sinless, but that we should sin less. Amen, church? And let me just give you this last thought, closing thought. You say, well, well how does it, what does that look like? How does that work? And I think this is probably the easiest way of, of, of saying it. And that is this one. The idea is to put on this breastplate. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's God's approval. But beyond that, also put on the breastplate of right living, living right, living a clean and holy life. So that we can overcome the schemes of the enemy. Because the devil wants to, to not only lure us in with sin, but before long he wants to ensnare us in sin. And to trap us, to bind us in sin. The example is that of Samson. Listen to what I'm about to say. Sin will take you farther than you want to go and will keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin will... Listen to these words. Sin will bind you, sin will blind you, and sin will grind you. Picture Samson, the mighty Samson, who fell to his own life in sin, and we see him as he's bound. We see him as he's blinded, and we see him grinding at the mill. It's an illustration of what sin will do to us if we do not guard our hearts. Paul says here in the book of Romans, he says, don't 
fulfill. Don't gratify the lust of the flesh. So you ready for a little thought? Here you go. You ready? What you starve, what starves, what you starve dies. And what you feed thrives. What you starve dies. And what you feed thrives. You got that, church? If you feed your sinful flesh and your sinful nature, you have, you have, you have two natures. You have good versus evil. You have your flesh and you have the spirit, the inner man. And if you are starving your spirit man, your inner man, the Bible says it will begin to weaken. Years ago, there was a, a man who became a follower of Christ. He was actually an Indian man. Don't remember which tribe or where he's from. But another, he was telling another and about his relationship with God and, and his battle and struggle with, with two natures. And he says, when I came to know Christ, he said, I have, he says, I now have two natures. He says, it's, and he said, you see that? He had a, a, a pen over there and it was two dogs. And he said, you see over there, there's, there's two dogs. He says, that's what I have going in the, on inside of me. There's these two dogs that are war, good versus evil, light versus darkness. And his other Indian friend said, and it's not, by the way, it's not a joke, okay? <laughs> it's actually a true story. He says, well, well, well which, one, which one thrives? Which one wins? How do, what? He says, well, the dog, the illustration was the dog that I feed the most wins. And the dog that, I, that starves is weak and dies. And it might seem like such a simple parable or simple illustration, but can I ta- say this to you? That that is why it is so important that we are putting on the breastplate of righteousness every day. Amen? That we are in fellowship and communion with God. That we're feeding our inner man. The fact that you're here feeding the inner man. Amen? And in the word and in fellowship, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on that breastplate of God's approval. And I would encourage you to, to do not gratify the lust of the flesh. Whichever dog you feed the most will thrive. Amen? Put on, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And by the way, that's a choice that we must make each and every day. As an officer gets up and gets ready to go out on duty, he chooses to put on that vest. Keep your heart, guard your heart, for out of it are all the issues of life. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Let's stand and pray. Lord, I.